Welcome back to Home Design Chat with Nancy. If you're remodeling or building a new home, you don't want to miss these podcasts. We share information about every component of your home. You'll listen and learn about tile, appliances, cabinets, paint, flooring, and lighting, and more. Yeah, we cover it all. Well, today is September 22nd, and obviously, if you've been a listener, I do everything by date. So I catalog everything. If I refer to another podcast, it's going to be by date so that you can find it easily. Well, um, my guest today, my special guest, because I'm so excited about talking about this subject, is uh, Joe Zazera. And he's the owner of Plant Solutions, which is located in Scottsdale, and he will have a second location in Scottsdale. Welcome, Joe. I'm really excited to talk about plants, one of my favorite subjects. Thank you so much, Nancy, and thank you for having me. I used to be crazy about plants until I moved to Arizona. Hopefully, you will educate me and everybody else because I don't find it easy growing plants in Arizona. Do you get that complaint a lot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, normally, I mean, yes, we, I hear, you know, we always hear about people saying, oh, I can't keep plants, I kill plants. And it really, it's about selecting the proper plants and the proper lighting for indoors, along with the proper watering. So it just takes a little bit of education and a little bit of knowledge, um, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of get it right. Oftentimes, people buy plants that are inappropriate for inside to try to bring outside plants inside where the lighting conditions uh, just do not just are not enough. And um, many, the, the higher quality tropical plants or plants for indoors are actually acclimated for the indoors. And what that means is uh, as the growers grow the plants um, in their facilities, in their yards or wherever, they, they will grow plants because growers make money by selling plants so they want to grow them quickly. But for in order for them to survive inside, they need to be acclimated for the lower lighting. So for example, uh, a grower might grow a plant under a few thousand foot candles of lighting and then over a period of 90 days, continue to reduce that amount of lighting prior to sale to get it down, to get the plant used to growing in a lower light area that when uh, when you buy this plant or these plants, you can bring them inside and they'll survive because the lighting levels in the indoor environment might be 100, if you're lucky, 100 foot candles or, or oftentimes much less. I have so many questions and I don't want to, you know, jump around, but there's one I don't want to forget to ask you, talking about how the growers uh, like their plants. I want (laughs) to, I just immediately thought of the poinsettia. You go into the store around Christmas and they look absolutely gorgeous. And I know that they have to do their thing about getting the leaves to turn red. I've never had a poinsettia survive after Christmas. What is the, um, the solution to that? Since you are plant solutions, you got to have one. <laughs> well, the funny thing is that, as you said, the, the growers actually gas the, uh, the poinsettias to, you know, to get the, the proper color. And more times than not, uh, they will defoliate. And if you, if, you're, if you keep up with watering properly, they will refoliate, but, but, in, but the leaves will be green. Um, surprisingly enough, the, the, the poinsettia is actually a euphorbia, which is sort of, it's from the cactus variety. Um, you know, a bit of a succulent. If you've ever broken a leaf on a poinsettia, you see the white, uh, the white sap that comes out of it. That's kind of an indication mm-hmm. of that. So, so my suggestion. I mean, again, poinsettias. They, although they don't like to cont- be too dry, they do like to dry out, and you will lose the the red foliage. But if you keep at it, because most people once the foliage, the leaves drop off, they think the plant is dead. But if you keep at it, it will actually refoliate. 
Mm. I heard that once it defoliates and then it gets leaves back, they'll all be green, obviously, like you said. But then if you want them to turn red, you put them in the closet so many hours a day. Is that true or is that an old tale? Well, that's a good question. I don't know specifically. I have I have heard that. And uh, but I think there is, uh, uh, you know, the it does have to do with lighting, you know, with, with uh, poinsettias color changes does have to do with lighting because of the time of year. And so probably that has to do with the shorter daytime, uh, daytime lighting in the wild, if you will. Oh, um, so I'm no, ex I'm no expert on recolorizing poinsettias, but I do think the, the lighting and the gassing has uh, a lot to do with it. Okay. Well, what are the advantages of having plants in the home, especially for the people who say they kill their plants? Maybe they should either read up on it or listen to you. Yeah. Well, I, I believe the number one advantage is our human nature connection. Um, you know, we are, uh, we are part of nature. We are nature and we have this innate uh, need to be connected with other living things. So I ask people, you know, when, on the weekends, what do you, you know, what do you do? And people say, well, I go hunting, I go fishing, I go camping, I take my dog to the park, but they all, they, they're all about getting outside and getting in the outdoors. So I think the number one advantage is being connected to nature while you're in your work or home space. And, uh, and we've seen this, we've seen this grow, uh, uh, you know, we've seen the whole biophilic design movement grow where we're now integrating nature more and more into the, into buildings and into the built environment. So, so that for me, that's the number one thing is that I like, I love, I'm a nature guy. I love to be around nature and the more plants I have around me and the more things that remind me of the outdoors, um, uh, you know, the, the better I feel. So I think it has to do with, um, I think it has to do with, you know, just, you know, not only productivity, but happiness and wellness and all, all that. I agree. Um, so the silk plants don't do anything for you except make your room look a little more lively or colorful. But just remember, real plants, because that's what I always suggest, not real plants, they make the room. And as you know, I'm a designer, so I'm always thinking about, okay, a nice tree would be good here or a nice plant would be good there. Um, then let's talk about lights, though. Um, not every house is conducive to every plant growing there. So say somebody has um, low lights, you know, maybe they live in an apartment or they don't have a lot of windows in their home. What, what kind of plants do you suggest? Yeah. So I, I'm, first of all, I'm not one that's totally opposed to artificial plants well done in the right areas. There are studies that show that a natural analog, such as an artificial plant or, an, or a painting of nature or a photo of nature, provides some of the same benefits of being connected to nature. So there are many instances in homes where there is no lighting and a, a, and a live plant absolutely will not work, but it calls for an artificial, uh, an artificial plant. I would just caution that to use a high, you know, find a high quality product. You know, there's a lot of Crap. There's a lot of crap on the market. Yeah. Um, no, side note, so, I know somebody who has, I mean, you walk into their uh, showroom and you think these are alive, right? So yes, quality is important if you're going to um, have an artificial plant. Uh, you know, sometimes you just, you're not able, maybe you travel a lot, you can't take care of your plants because you're not there. You don't have a neighbor that's going to come in and water your plants. So like you said, you know, there's always a, a place for everything. So, in, in, and then, thank you for that. So, in addressing the lighting, however, the, for live plants, I would say, you know, most, first of all, most most indoor plants are tropical plants. 
For example, if you bring cactus inside, it's sort of a death march. Living cactus inside is sort of a death march to probably not, even in a decent indoor lighting, it may not work long term. Hmm. But, um, but, but most tropical plants require indoors good filtered light. So what that means is you do not want um, a tropical plant or, or a plant in a direct to have direct sunlight for too long through a window because the window heats up, you know, from the sun and, and you know, can possibly burn the plant. So so filtered light is good and it doesn't always have to be uh, from a window. You can have, you can have uh, with some of the plants that we use, you can actually have it in, you know, uh, rooms that don't may not have any direct natural light but have good, maybe good daytime lighting, you know, through, uh, you know, artificial, even fluorescent lights. Um, so we do that a lot in uh, commercial offices where um, maybe it's an interior office, a corporate office that has only filtered, or I'm sorry, only uh, incandescent light mm-hmm. um, and, and they, and we can get them to work. So I, w- I would just caution, you know, not too much direct sunlight and good filtered light. Mm-hmm. And so what would you suggest for low light? What kind of plants would you say? Somebody walks into your showroom and they say, uh, I really want a plant, but I don't have good lighting. What would you suggest? Right. So the the ones that are very popular, are, of course, the Sansevieria plant, which many people know them as this uh, mother-in-law's tongue. They're sort of a tall, um, uh, you know, tall uh, or, or they you know, used to call it the thing. snake plant, which I thought was yep. disgusting. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, snake plant, mother's lungs, and there's so many nowadays. The growers really have gotten on board with these low light plants for that reason, so they they could sell more for indoors. There are so many varieties of the Sansevieria right now that you can, you know, there, there's compact ones, and there's tall ones, and there's short ones, and there's full ones. So there's a lot available then. So Sansevieria is always good. Of course, the Golden Pathos is sort of the workhorse of the industry. Um, you see, we've seen that many, many, you know, for many, many years, as long as 40 years I've been doing this, I've seen it since, you know, at least since I've been doing it. Um, and so that's always a great one. And the nice thing about the golden pothos is you can, you can, they're very easily propagated. You could take clippings and put them in water and, and get them the root and replant them and, and, and that. So, okay, so I have that's a question. A good, I have a question mm-hmm. about the pothos because that's the go-to plant. I think everybody has one at least, and then you see them in the supermarkets too. Mm-hmm. They're all over the place. But I have seen people just keep them growing longer and longer, and they're viney. And then they take them and they wrap them around their door frame, and they become leggy. So at what point do you say, you know what, you've got to cut them because I think by cutting them, they will then grow thicker from the, uh, you know, in the pot and then just make cuttings and make plants and give them to your friends. At what point do you do that? Because I know people go, oh, I hate to cut them. They're looking beautiful. Yeah, I know, but they're 20 feet long and there's no leaves on your vine. Right. So in our commercial installation and our residential installation, we keep them trimmed back as, as much as much as we can. It's hard when, for example, if we walk into a, a job where we're going to, we're, we're starting service and maybe the client already has something, you know, they don't want us to cut it all back because there's, you know, they're so proud of themselves that they grew it so long. Yeah, but the truth is if you keep them pruned back and clipped back, the heads will become, will stay fuller. And, uh, and one solution, if you have a really long runner is just to grab, take that runner and wrap it around the head of the plant, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then you can, then you can help make the head, Full again, and then t- and then clip off any excess trimming. I like to see them. Uh, I like to see them all trimmed pretty evenly. But that I'm, you know, that's just kind of my my thing. So um, so I would say the more you trim the, you know, the, the more you keep them trimmed back, the better 
and healthier they do because they're not expending energy on these long runners. They're going to expend the energy to, you know, to sort of build up these, uh, you know, the head of the plant. Yeah. I have taken the runner and wrapped it around the head in my days when I was into a lot of plants and they actually, if they're touching the dirt, they will root in there. That's right. Yes, they do. See, I do know a little bit about plants. Not much. (laughs) Mm. Sounds like you know more than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I used to, um, one time we had orange pits. We had the orange and we had orange pits. And I said, hey, what the heck? So we planted and we got little trees in our our, uh, porch area. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, what about the Dracaena? Is that easy to grow? Dracaenas are very, you know, again, you know, in terms of floor plants, um, Dracaena is the sort of the workhorse pot, you know, like the pothos. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a standard of the industry. And there are so many types of Dracaenas now. And, um, and typically the darker the leaf Dracaena, uh, the more, the, the lower light it will tolerate. Um, when you, when you, whenever you have more variegation or lighter colors, they require a bit more light, but Dracaenas are great. And uh, they're really, it's really great if you can, um, uh, because they'll go long, you know, long periods of time without water. I mean, I, I, some of them we, you know, some of them require only water every ten days, depending on the, the lighting it's that the, uh, the plant is in. Um, so it's really hard because we're doing an audio podcast and there's no video here. But I had, which I really like the look of a Dracaena marginata because it's very mm-hmm. airy. Now, I'm going to let you describe in your best. Um, words of description, how you would explain to people what a Marcina, uh, what a Dracaena marginata looks like. Um, sure. A, a Dracaena marginata is uh, typically an, an upright, obviously an upright plant. So it's not a vining plant. So if you can envision three or four, uh, at least on the floor plant. Now I'm going to describe one that's five to six feet tall. Mm-hmm. So typically you'll see, you know, maybe a 12 inch or 14 inch pot. And you'll have uh, canes at various heights coming out of the, uh, you know, from the pot. That so they're staggered heights. So you might have a six foot, a four foot, a three foot, a two foot, all in one pot. And the and um, and the 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 canes are maybe, oh, typically an inch in diameter, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And the lower parts of the cane are exposed, and it's kind of a grayish color. And as you go up the cane, you'll see these long, thin, pointy leaves at the. The leaves themselves are probably uh, maybe a half to three quarters of an inch wide mm-hmm. and maybe 10 to 12 inches long, and they come to a point. And so you'll have multiple leaves all stacked on top of each other. Um, and oftentimes, it's also called a red leaf tercina. Oftentimes, the red the edges of those leaves are red or reddish, burgundy colored. And then the interior is a dark, a dark green. I had one. I loved it. Uh, matter of fact, it's perfect for contemporary or even transitional uh, interiors. I found that no matter what I did, the tips of these beautiful, graceful leaves would turn brown. So I got my trusty scissor out and you can get creative. And instead of cutting it flat, you can actually cut it to a point. Um, that seemed to be the only solution when you have problems like that. You, you don't want to just give the plant away or, you know, but it, it just doesn't look good with brown tips, you know? Yeah. Um, and typically, so we train all of our service technicians, the proper tr- pruning and trimming techniques for that. And, uh, and one of the things that just drives me crazy when I go out, I see someone who's taking a leaf that is normally pointed and they've cut it, they've cut it straight across with the scissors to cut off the dead brown. 
it's very important to take your, you know, clean, first of all, use very clean scissors, use alcohol, clean them because you don't want to transmit any pests but, uh, and trim the leaf in the shape of its normal, of what it would normally be. Um, and it's hard to get it perfect, but uh, at least if you create a point by trimming each side of the leaf, when you're trimming the brown off, it will be, um, uh, you know, it will be more realistic of the, uh, of, the uh, of how it was grown. So I was actually doing something right, Joe. <laughs> of course you are. Mm. Well, I'm going to talk about appliances right now. And Thermador is one of our sponsors. Thermador has two collections. One is the Masterpiece Collection, and it's a modern design for the contemporary kitchen look. And the other one is the Professional Collection, which is more of a, a transitional look, or you can even use that in the industrial look. And so Thermador is luxury that lasts and powers by design and led by innovation. You can go to thermador.com if you want to learn more about their appliances, but I'm going to talk generally about getting appliances right now. And I just spoke to my appliance guy, and they're still do, having uh, problems with back orders. So if you're planning on remodeling or replacing your appliances, don't think you're going to go and get one lickety split because you won't. You have to order them and there are certain brands that have longer lead times. So make sure you check with your appliance guy before you uh, start doing anything. Ordering the appliances is probably, and that's got the longest lead time, that's the most important thing when you're going to do a remodel. Anyway, back to our plants. So, um, well, can you tell me which plants people shouldn't get if they don't have, so to speak, a green thumb? I did so, mention to you the African violet. I would never have an African violet. Um, what do you think about orchids? You know, uh, orchids are great. I think, the, um, and they're fairly available. They're you know the growers are, have really gotten on top of uh, supply. I mean, uh, supply of them, and so they seem fairly readily available now. Uh, the thing um, that I have never been able to do, but, you know, typically if you're caring for an orchid well inside. You know, the buds, the flowers will, you know, will last, I don't know, eight to 12 weeks, somewhere in there. Um, I have never had good luck uh, getting them to reflower. So, you know, many times we've had these, you know, orchids that we've used in commercial jobs come back without flower, not knowing what to do with them. So, <laughs> so if anybody out there knows, <laughs> uh, you know, how, how to sort of get them to reflower, I would sure like to know about that because I've never, I, it's just not, I'm not a grower, so I don't know. I, I think um, there are clubs that, uh, for orchid growers, I think that's a whole different world, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I do know that also in terms of watering orchids, you know, they're, they're, they're grown in a very, oftentimes in, uh, in bark, you know, very, they don't, you know, they, they, they like to dry out between waterings and best way to water any plant if you can is to put it in the sink and water it and let it drain really well. Um, plants typically do not like wet feet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so you don't want them sitting in water anytime, but, but watering and obviously the big floor plants is harder to just put it in the sink or take it outside to flush it. Um, but, uh, but on your smaller plants, if you, if you're able to just, you know, set them in the sink, run the water through them and, uh, and let them dry out. That, that seems to work very well. So you mentioned they don't like wet feet. Probably one of the reasons why people don't have good luck with plants is maybe overwatering, you think? Well, overwatering is the number one killer of indoor plants. Um, you know, we, I've had people, you know, we put, you know, sold plants that people say, oh, do I need to water it every day? It's like, oh my gosh, don't. You know, maybe this plant might need water every 10 days or every two weeks or, you know, in the case of a Sansevieria, maybe every three weeks. 
Um, so, and, and I mean, it's all well-meaning. You know, people are, you know, they want to keep their plants alive and they, and they just can't believe that a plant could go that long without, you know, without water. But, but surprisingly, um, uh, yes, overwatering is the number one, uh, uh, number one killer of indoor plants. And how do you know you overwatered? I mean, I was going to bring up the um, the death of root rot, but that's probably what happens if you overwater. What's you know? What do you see? Well, first, a, a little basic about root systems. Um, roots will only develop if they have to go looking for water. So, if you can visualize the roots in your plant, you know, waking up, going, "Hey, it's dry in here. What do we do?" Okay, well, let's go looking. As they go looking, they're developing, they're growing, right? And then uh-huh. when they find the water, then they, of course, they, they, you know, they feed themselves. They give them what, what they need. But if the roots are sitting in water all the time, they're they're lazy. They just say, "Oh man, that, this water is all around me. This is cool. I don't have to do anything." And they don't develop. They don't go anywhere. They don't have to look for water. But what happens in, in, is that bacteria starts to grow because the roots start to rot. And once the roots start to rot, it's it's pretty much all over. And yes, so, goodbye. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I would say, pay attention to your root systems, and and if you can, when you buy plants, you know, if they're smaller plants, you know, you can actually take the plant out of the nursery pot and look at the roots and look at the color and see how how you know how they're developing inside the. And you'll know immediately if it's a healthy if it's healthy or not. If you see a lot of if it falls apart, if you see a lot of brown, a lot of stench, a lot of discoloration, don't buy that plant. But if you see a good, healthy root system, you know, which is a decent color and, you know, there's a lot of roots, then you're in good shape. Are you saying to check the roots out before you buy a plant? Like, okay, Mr. Greenhouse, I'm going to turn your plant upside down so I can check the roots. Yeah. We do that all the time. And there's really? a, yeah, and there's a technique to do that without losing all the, all the, you know, if a plant is mid, if it's, if it's too wet, you know, the soil mass actually, you know, will fall apart a bit. But if it's, if the soil mass is dry enough, you can actually, I'm talking about smaller plants. You can actually turn it over into your hand, take the pot, you know, squeeze the pot a little bit, make it loose, pull the pot off and look at the root systems. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure all the, uh, where you're buying your plants like that that much, but you can talk to them about that before you buy that and they can help you out. Well, okay. So we say don't overwater. That's probably the number one killer. How do you know how often to water your plant? Do you stick your finger in the dirt or what? Well, I was, you know, so I'm sort of old school in that regard. I was taught to use my fingers and um, and two, several ways. One, usually put my finger uh, into the soil, knuckle deep, and 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 uh, and feel for moisture. And when I say that, it's important to, to put your finger in there and then wait a few seconds because oftentimes, like if it's cold out you know, maybe your finger is cold and you'll misinterpret that as wet. But if you put your finger into the soil and give it a second, you'll know whether or not you're feeling moisture. If you feel moisture, don't water. If you, uh, if you, if it feels dry or if the, if the uh, soil mass is coming away from the sides of the pot, then you probably need to water. Mm-hmm. So based on, <laughs> I guess, the climate you keep in your home would actually tell you how often to uh, water your plant. In other words, if you keep your heat real high, your plant's going to dry out faster. And if you keep your air conditioning very high, then it's going to be warmer in your house and your plant's going to dry out faster, correct? That's yeah, absolutely correct, yes. Um, when we when we train our service technicians to, to maintain living plants, we have to go through a whole year um, of seasonal changes till they're really fully trained. I mean, they're out on their own before then, but because of the 
air conditioning because of the heating, because of the seasons, the wet seasons, dry seasons, all that. Plants dry out at different uh, different times, uh, you know, at different times. Weekly watering is a man-made um, a man-made strategy. I mean, we, it, nature doesn't work that way. You know, plants plants will dry out at different points of times at different uh, or different times at different times of the year. Um, so the idea of weekly watering or having it on a, that kind of schedule, although it works for some people and some plants, um, it's not, it doesn't work for all plants. Mm. So mm. I would say that say the rainforest gets a lot of rain. Those plants mm. flourish like crazy. I would love my plants to have a lot of humidity and, and, you know, maybe humidity does it. Um, but I don't like humidity. <laughs> so, you know, uh, what do you do then? Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's so true. Uh, um, you know, humidity in the indoor environment is what, I mean, in Arizona, maybe 30 to 35%, something like that. And plants really like, you know, like 40 and above if they can get it. Um, so there's no, I mean, there's no, um, you know, there's no hard and fast rule. It's just that, you know, for me anyway, it's all about how the plant looks, how the soil feels, what the location is. Um, and oh, the other thing I want to add about watering was if you can learn to lift your plants up off the, uh, off the floor, off the ground or off the counter, you'll get, you'll get an idea about the weight. You'll learn how, you know, when a plant is heavy, obviously, Oh, um, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's probably more wet than we have so many more questions and, and we're running out of time. I, I do want to, uh, give a shout out to monogram. They're my other sponsor and they also have some great appliances. Monogram has the statement collection, which brings modern design together, um, with the traditional kitchen appliance look. And they also have the minimalist collection, which is more for the contemporary kitchen. So if you want to learn more about Monogram, go to monogram.com. I really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. I also want to say the same thing goes for Monogram. Everybody is backordered. Um, there's no way to get a beautiful appliance either from Thermdor or Monogram tomorrow. You've got to order. And so plan ahead as in plant ahead. Uh, so Joe, we have, there's a couple of things we really wanted to cover and I hate to keep you longer than I said I would, but let's talk about, um, how expensive indoor plants are. You know, if somebody's on a budget, what do you think? Well, um, you know, you're just talking about supply issues and we have faced with COVID, we have faced the same issues as everyone else. And that when people started working from home, um, the plant, the demand for indoor plants skyrocketed. And oh. so many of our growers have, you know, ran out of stock and you can't just grow a plant overnight. So we've been facing supply issues and demand issues and certain plants we can't get. But, um, but typically, you know, don't always think that a cheap plant is a good plant, right? I mean, there's, there's many, you know, many, some of the big box stores sell plants inexpensively, but maybe the grower grew them quickly, fastly to get them out the door and you get it home and you have a problem with it, that may be because for that reason. Mm -hmm. So I would not let the, pri uh, the price of the plant dictate whether it's a good plant or not. You know, I mean, a, a cheap plant dictate that it's a good plant. Um, so there, it's all over the map for, I mean, big specimen plants can be 800 to $1,000, you know, where some floor plants might be, um, you know, $150, $200, and then maybe desk plants are, you know, $25 to $30 somewhere in there. So it, again, in four, you know, small four-inch plants could be, you know, ten to twelve dollars, that sort of thing. So it's kind of all over the map, depending on, you know, depending on the size of the plant, really. <clears throat> okay, let's talk about fertilizer. Every plant needs food. 
right? Yes. That's okay. True. So how do you know when and what to feed your plants so that they are happy? Um, well, what I tell people and some people, uh, the fertilized manufacturers are, are not happy with me about this, but again, just thinking back to the growers, the growers want to grow the plants quickly and healthy. So they fertilize their plants very heavily. So when we get an indoor plant, it is already very heavily fertilized and you get it into the indoor environment where the metabolism of the plant is going to slow down. It, uh, you know, uh, it's not going to need as much fertilizer as quickly as the fertilizer manufacturers tell you. So what I tell people is that usually, at least what we do commercially is for the first year, we don't fertilize the plants because they come so fertilized to us. After that, we typically will fertilize, but we recommend a quarter of the recommended percentage of what the fertilizer uh, manufacturer has recommended. And that's so that you don't over fertilize your plant. And the reason that is, if you think about think about a glass of, of salt water, well, when the water uh, evaporates, you see all the crystallization on the side of the plant or on the side of the glass. Mm -hmm. So when plants are the same way, so when they dry out, the pH levels uh, increase. So you want to try and avoid that by, by not over fertilizing. So it's really good to be able to at least once a year on your four plants, get them outside and flush them really well to flush all the salts out of the uh, out of this, you know, out of the soil on the plant. And then you can start adding some fertilizer in. Mm. So again, I, you know, people think that uh, plants need fertilization right away. I, I highly caution that. Okay. Well, let's talk about your least favorite subject, bugs in the plants and how to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, when people aren't plant people and they think, oh yeah, we just get some plants and put them around the house. They don't realize that you can't, it's like a kid. You can't just get a kid and ignore it. You can't get your plant and ignore it. And I think probably um, there's a high percentage of plants that are going to have bugs every once in a while. So go for it, Joe. Tell us how to get so, rid of those ugly things. Well, the best way is to never get them. And one of the best ways to never get them is to keep your plants clean. And we recommend, like on your waxier leaf plants, to hand wipe the leaves, top and bottom, underneath them, and, and uh, you know, and, and everything you can to keep them as clean as possible. Keep your plants clean and rotated, and, uh, and if they come in with no pests from the grower, then you shouldn't have a problem. That's with typical pests like uh, mealybug and and that and um, spider mice. So one of the most common pests we see now are fungus gnats. Um, and fungus gnats will come in from the outside about 11 days after a rain, and they'll start to breed and leave larvae in the, in the plants. And typically, and they're looking for moisture. So, um, so again, if you're overwatering your plants, you're probably going to have a fungus gnat problem. So, I would look at look in the base of the plants, look in the trays of the plants, and make sure that there's no standing water, and make sure that the plants are not sitting in water because that's just a breeding ground uh, for fungus gnats. So. Again, very important if you let your plants dry out, you keep your plants clean, you shouldn't have problems. If, however, you end up with uh, mealybugs or spider mice, you need to, uh, you know, you, we used um, isopropyl alcohol and we mix it, I think, 50%. We take a 70% concentration and mix it 50%, and then we use it on a spray cloth or on, or on the plant if it's not in high light, and again, hand wipe it down and hand wipe the pests off. Um, the other a really important bit about pests is that they, they will move from plant to plant to plant. So, for example, if you are watering your plant that has mealybug and it gets on your sleeve or your collar or your 
or your hand and you move to your next plant and water your plant and happen to touch the plant, the mealybug could easily uh, be transmitted from one to another. So it's very important if you do have a plant that has, uh, has to try to isolate it. And if you're working with it, um, clean your scissors afterwards, uh, use a different cloth on your next plant and what, look at your water bucket and every all the tools that you're using to, to water and keep the plant clean so that you're not transmitting it from plant to plant to plant. Wow. These are all good tips and good ideas. And um, I know you have to go because you have an appointment. And I so I would like to have you back because we can be talking about plants forever. We're going to talk with in our next podcast about um, outdoor plants and living walls. I love living walls. I don't know how, um, how hard it is to take care of, but we're not even going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about it on the next one. I do want to thank you, Joe. Um, I've learned oh, thanks a lot. so much for having me. I've also, it brings back the memories of when I had all those plants. I mean, I've, I've experienced bugs and the alcohol and people used to go, what are you doing? I'm taking care of my plants. I spent hours doing that. Yeah. But again, Joe, I want to thank you. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's show and please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on this podcast on. And don't forget to share them with your friends. We have a lot of important information that should be shared. And if you don't share it with your friends, especially the ones who have plants or they're building a house or whatever, then you're just keeping a secret that they should know about. If you wanna learn more about me, you can go to nancyhugo.com. And if you have any questions for me, or if your plants are screaming that they have questions and you need to get with Joe, email me and I'll pass it on to Joe. I also do a weekly podcast with my techie son, Dan. We talk about everything but design on Hugo Floss found on many platforms. And I have a segment on there which where I complain. Everybody knows I'm from New York and I can't have a day without complaining. So, um, you know, if you have anything you want me to complain about, hey, send me an email. So um, anyway, I want everybody to stay safe. Have a great day. Um, Hey, if you're vaccinated or not, I still will talk to you. So have a great day, Joe. Thank you. Thank again. you so much. Yep. Okay. Good night. Or goodbye. Bye.